Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Look, you've tuned in. So that means you like what you're hearing. Now, take it one step further and be a 1037 The Game Station insider. That means you'll know all the juicy stuff. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. 1037 The Game. Acadiana's Sports Station. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 1037 the game hey welcome everybody to under the dome with cd hopefully you're having a great louisiana saturday afternoon and, of course, we're coming to you live from the beautiful, palatial, dare I say opulent-looking First South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And hopefully you're having a good one. Appreciate you listening in. However you're doing so, be it through that old-school Tower of Power, the FM dial. The Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour. I'm funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh, yeah. And hopefully you're... If you're joining us, however you're doing so, that FM dial, mobile app, smart speakers, we got all kinds of different ways to listen to us. And heck, if you've missed anything, we got us on demand as well. Let me tell you, we got so many different ways to listen to us. And hopefully, you're enjoying yourself on this Saturday afternoon. Hopefully, you had a good Friday. Then I should say a great good Friday is the actual word I should say. So, hopefully, you're getting things ready to roll. On this holy weekend, Easter Sunday, obviously, tomorrow. So hopefully you got that stuff taken care of. And if not, you know, appreciate you listening in while you're taking care of those last-minute errands before Easter Sunday tomorrow. And, of course, we're going to give you another but great sports talk over the next two hours. we got two guests, so plenty of time to get aboard the hotline, 337-706-0111. Both guests coming aboard at the bottom of each hour. I'll give you an idea of what we got coming up in just a little bit. But first, we need to get down to brass tacks and talk about what's causing all this with your Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. I've been seeing, you know, and hearing a lot of hate and vitriol directed towards the LSU baseball program. You know, some of it is just par for the courts for the most part. I am definitely one of those people that was in that camp a couple years ago. I remember when the show launched back in May of 2019, a little bit before that, when it was still the producers, but the producer was the only person inside the studios, which weren't the first South Farm Credit Studios back then. But just for continuity's sake, we were in those first South Farm Credit Studios. And, you know, I get it. They're in the middle of an epic losing streak. One of the worst starts in program history. I can understand that. But now I look at Paul Maneri 
And it just feels like he's a couple minutes away from being like your guy Bill Murray in Stripes with depression has set in. And he's a couple minutes away from joining the army. It's insane to see how much has changed with this program. He is sitting there. There's a thumbnail I saw on YouTube from his press conference last night after the game. And he looks defeated. He looks like a man that has just lost his control of his mind. And it's insane to see how much has changed just in a matter of days. Because first of all, you've got the State of the Union that is the LSU football, I mean, LSU baseball program heading into this weekend. Heading into this big series, taking on a national power in the Vanderbilt Commodores. You just lost to Mississippi State, one of the best teams in the country. You lost to Tennessee, you got swept by them. And you probably could have at least made it decent and come away with a win in Game 2 if not for the fact that the SEC's dumb rules make it so you have to play the entire game through. Instead of, hey, you know, it's ninth inning, they're up, let's go ahead and move on. This is, it still bugs me that we had to deal with that. That was the reason why LSU, you know, again, Uncle Mo had left the building the second they left the ballpark on Saturday night because of the rain. And then they wound up getting swept by the Tennessee Volunteers. Now they're sitting there on the verge of getting swept for a second straight weekend against the best team in the country. And there's a lot of people out there that are definitely kind of yelling and, and screaming from the mountaintops, get rid of Les, uh, get rid of Paul Maneri, excuse me, saying Les Miles. Les Miles is gone, and he's going to stay gone. So for me, I think there's without a doubt in my mind, Paul Maneri may be nearing the end of his rope, but I don't think he'll be sent off the way people want him to, where they want him to be thrown off, not of not of a bridge, but basically, proverbially speaking, being thrown out of his own ballpark. You know, they, he's going to wind up leaving on his own accord. I think because I feel like Paul Maneri, the last year or so, the last couple of years, I would say, has started to not lose sight of things. But I think it's just the fact that he's his mindset's changed. We talk about it all the time, depending who you kind of follow. I, I definitely have mentioned this a lot. Is sometimes when you're running hard. It's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep tabs on what's causing all this. It's hard for anybody to keep the ship afloat when he got so many things running through your mind. I mean, he lost his dad a couple of years ago. In the last year, he's lost people that were very close mentors to him, like Tommy Lasorda. He's definitely lost. And, you know, the whole COVID thing probably changed a lot of his mental mindset. And now we see Jaden Hill get pulled early. Due to an injury, and that feels like maybe his season's over. And that would be horrible to see for LSU to lose one of your consistent every uh, your I say consistent, but you know you'll have him in that weekend series. Without him, the conversation changes. The conversation shifts, my friends. And now we sit here, and I'm wondering what the hell is going on. And I'm like, what is happening here? This is just it's insane to think that that's what's going on with this program. This program has gone from being kings to being kind of almost a pauper. Like they, It's gone from prince to the pauper in a few years span. Because this team, don't forget, 2017, 2018, this team was top of the world. Being able to make it to Omaha with a lot of consistency. 
mainly because of the fact they had a lot of returning stars and they had a lot of really phenomenal players from top to bottom on that roster. I can tell you right now, LSU, that team a couple years ago, it's long gone. And now you've got a team that just feels like a shell of its former self. What have they become? They've become a afterthought in a lot of different people's minds compared to what they should be according to a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of people. And I'm just, what the hell's going on here? But of course, everybody's thinking, everybody's saying, he should be fired. No. I don't think he should be fired. Not yet. It's not even close to time to hang him from the gallows. Don't put all your chips on the start of conference play. I mentioned it again. Three teams right now today. Top 10 on a lot of major polls. Tennessee, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt. This was probably going to be a tough stretch to begin with. I think people kind of forget that. And just look at the end results. You played three of the best teams in the country to start off SC play. Now, if they show the same listlessness, they look kind of checked out. The same way I saw last night against the Kentucky Wildcats. If they did it next week against Kentucky on Saturday, I'll go off on LSU. I'll go full bore and say this team doesn't have it. A lot like what I said whenever they were losing to the Arkansas team a few years ago. And Arkansas, good team, but at the same time, that was a game you should have been able to handle. There's no killer instinct. There's no... There's no fire with this team. I think there's so much potential. We hear about Dylan Cruz and Trey Morgan. At the end of the day, these guys just haven't necessarily been there in a sense. They've got they've still got some time to develop. I think in a couple years they'll be some of the best players in the SEC. But right now, you pretty much went up against murderers row. And that's before you bring up again, the Arkansas of the world. You're playing them a little, a little bit further down the road, but the fact you started off this conference slate in 2021 with as many L's as you did, the worst start since 1969. That was well before I was even a thought in my father's, in a gleam in my dad's eye. It was insane. This program deserves better, but firing the head coach isn't always the answer. I think, you know, they need to get rid of some of that inner circle and kind of clean house wholesale and start figuring out what the plan is. What's the next step for this franchise, for this program? Because I can tell you, there's a lot of change going on. And I think Pulmonary could have one or two more years left. He just needs to figure out who needs to go. And I think, you know, I had a caller on Ben's show yesterday mentioned getting rid of Alan Dunn. I think Alan Dunn could be one of those main culprits. I mean, after all, you can't fire Javi anymore. Javi's long gone. And Javi, you know, was a lot, was a crux of a lot of issues on the hitting side. Maybe the pitching coach, Alan Dunn, good guy, but not necessarily giving you the results that you want right now. LSU baseball, they're going to do some soul searching over the next couple of weeks. And now we sit here in 2021, April, 5th, April 3rd, 4-3-2-1 day. And are we starting to, is it time to start hitting the countdown clock on Maneri's career? I don't necessarily think so. I think he's going to be a guy that goes out on his own terms. He's, I just feel like there's a lot more stuff going on at LSU that definitely kind of says, hey, 
this is the this is what's happening right now in 2021. We've got a basketball program that you know ha- still has a little bit of stink on it, and then you've got the entire Title IX investigation and some of it involving former players at LSU and a whole just mess of things. And Ed Ogeron is involved in it. He's stepping in, you know what, a lot of times. And that outright admitting the fact that he didn't interview his head coaches, there's a lot more stuff to kind of go on to where you're low on that totem pole of, of the bleep list. Let's go ahead and call it what it is. It's a bleep list. He's not on that list. Guys like Ed Ogeron, guys like Will Wade, on a lesser level than maybe a few years ago, they're on that list of guys where it's like, and Nicky Fargus is, is definitely... I'd say towards the top of that list, a bunch of players entering the transfer portal. This team didn't get into the tournament at all. They're kind of a little bit of a mess right here, right now. So hopefully y'all can kind of change that perspective of things and get your mind right. Because I'll say this, LSU baseball has a storied history. But I think at the same time, that storied history has changed a lot of the people's expectations. It's a lot like how, you know, Cajuns to a certain extent post 2014, post that magical year where they were putting up incredible numbers, where they were just dominating opponents left, right, and sideways and didn't lose a single series all throughout the regular season, only lost two straight games when it mattered the most. So don't, I understand that there's a lot of expectations at LSU. And it's definitely it's set up because of Skip Bourbon, set up because of what Paul Maneri did. But I feel like maybe it's should be taking a step back and really evaluating what you have right now. You've got AJ Labus, who has taken a couple years to get right. Jaden Hill can't quite ever really get right. Landon Marceau may be the bright spot of this pitching lineup, but he's definitely underwhelmed for a good bit of this like first like half of the season. I mean he. The first part of the season, non-conference, he was great. He was dominant. But once he got into SC play the last couple games, he isn't that same guy. He wound up allowing God knows how many runs against Vandy on Thursday night. And again, I understand Vandy is a powerhouse right now in the SEC. I mean, mean, Vanderbilt's baseball school, let's be honest. But I feel like you've got to realize that's what you're up against and you've got a lot of new faces. Yes, you've got some great talent that could be in the minors right here, right now, if not for COVID, kind of shortening the length of the MLB draft. I think there's a lot of questions that I've got to ask, and I'm just wondering what the hell is going on. But we'll kind of save some of the college baseball talk a little bit later on in the hour. But coming up at 11.30, we're going to have Ian Castleberry. going to talk to him about what's going on with the state of Major League Baseball. And then at 12.30, going to have on Thor Nystrom, going to be chatting him up about what's going on in the NFL draft. Maybe get some idea of what the draft stock looks like now that Elijah Mitchell set a blazing unofficial 4.32 in the 40. What do you think about Kerry Vincent Jr., guys like Jamar Chase, where he sees those guys going, and maybe what the Saints wind up doing. We'll get his thoughts and so much more. Once again, Thor Nystrom joining the program at 1230. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. When we come back, we got some news yesterday 
that I mentioned last week, but I want to get into some more pointed thoughts about that situation involving the UFC and their big announcement revolving around Poirier McGregor 3. Back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Octagon, to the 20 by 20 squared circle, and everywhere in between. The world famous CD isn't afraid of tackling any topic. Just don't expect him to get into the ring with anyone he offends. Finish him. Just bring it. Let's get back to Under the Dome. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports H1037 The Game and 1037TheGame.com 337-706-0111. If you want to get in on the conversation, we've got a lot of things to get to involved with the MLB with a guy, Ian Calciberry, joining us on the program about 10 minutes or so. But i got a few to kind of get into the conversation about Dustin Poirier. He has reportedly signed the contract for a rematch against Conor McGregor on July 10th. This comes from Ariel Hawani, the man that absolutely has been covering the UFC for the four-letter network like an absolute blanket, completing the trilogy that saw the second matchup back in January with with Poirier winning via second-round TKO in that second go-round. McGregor won the first fight, so now we get the rubber match. And apparently, I was reading some stuff, I believe MMA Fighting brought this up, is that apparently Poirier wanted this fight over the Chandler Oliveira fight, which is something I've definitely kind of, that's been the crux of all this. Because I get it. Dustin Poirier has a chance to immortalize himself and complete the trilogy and win over McGregor twice. And Poirier has absolutely just kind of been through the roof. And besides, you know, all the guys that he's fought lately, it's McGregor. Between the time McGregor's fought, like, more full-time since 2016 since his three-fight year, it's been, you know, just three times. He's fought, for the most part, outside of this fight with your boy McGregor. You know, I mean, he, he fought like a soda can, essentially, in that return fight a couple of years, or last year. Weird to think about that. Meanwhile, you know, McGregor's fighting the best of the best. Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis, Eddie Alvarez, Max Holloway, Dan Hooker. This is an opportunity for McGregor and Poirier to kind of settle this. And I think Poirier is on an absolute roll. He, he's won six of his last seven bouts and running his career record to 27-6. and six. Both these guys, I think McGregor absolutely has to win. The, it's a has to have to win fight. And if he doesn't, I think McGregor's just going to hang it up. I think win or lose, I think he's going to hang it up. Unless the allure of a lightweight title fight comes his way. He's that, that's the biggest question about all this. But it's crazy that, you know, I, I was sitting there right whenever I started hearing the reports from Hawani, and it was largely because of the fact that I was hearing some other stuff. And this is what I was talking about earlier. Chandler, the uh, Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira fight is going to be on May 15th. UFC 262 has to be in H-Town. I was thrown off by that because, again, like whenever I think of a vacated title, mind you, maybe I'm thinking more with my pro wrestling mind. I'll get to that in a minute. But the pro wrestling world, 
it's always going to be, you know, the number one contender is always going to get the opportunity if the title's vacated. Whoever's booked for the next pay-per-view is going to automatically be installed as one of the pe- one of the members of this tournament or however they're going to determine how they're going to award the title next. Because they've done different situations where they just automatically awarded it. But again, this is actual sports. And I wasn't a fan of the fact he wasn't, it was a three versus a four in terms of the rankings. But if you could have done a four-person tournament, put, I mean, hell, you could have put the McGregor fight in there. Now, technically, it could very well work itself out to be this way, where Oliveira and Chandler square off and Poirier and McGregor fight off, square off, and let's say Poirier wins it. 2022 comes around. He's got an opportunity to fight for his second lightweight title. I hope that's the case because this is major implications is especially if McGregor beats him quick. If it's a first round K or something like that, I guarantee you Poirier might not see a title shot again because losing that fight is going to drop you down. I think a good bit in my mind, I wouldn't be surprised if things kind of change, but it's an uphill climb for him. If he loses to McGregor in the trilogy fight, because again, it's hard to bounce back losing to a guy that only has fought three times since 2018 and the one when he since 2016 excuse me and he lost and the only fight he really won was against a guy that you know was kind of set up for him to knock down I understand it's definitely a little bit I feel like to a certain extent UFC is a lot more shady than boxing has ever been a lot more maybe predetermined maybe I'm overthinking things but it feels like it's just not the way I want to see Dustin Poirier be. I'd love to see him be in a title fight right away because of the fact that that win elevated him to number one contender and set him up possibly for a title fight. Now, obviously, he probably didn't want Gaith G2. He was one of the the fight for the in terms of McGregor. He wanted the trilogy fight because, again, that's big money. McGregor's still a draw. And if he wins, you know, if Poirier wins, he becomes, it's insane. I can just sit here and tell you right now that McGregor-Poirier 3 is going to be a hell of a fight. And it's, it's going to be a big draw. Pay-per-view buys are going to be through the roof. And more importantly, fans are back in the stands. I mean, I know in Florida it's full gear, full steam ahead. Their first show is going to be in Jacksonville. Then they're going to be over in Houston, Texas come May. And I can't believe that we're actually at that point. We're going to have mostly full attendance. I know Houston, I think that's going to be a hundred percent attendance for the Chandler Oliveira fight. But what's going to happen next with this? I have no idea where UFC 264 is has been announced to be. I know they're probably going to announce that sooner or later once we see McGregor's camp sign it. But again, that's going to be on July 10th. That's going to cap off International Fight Week in my mind because I mean it's a July 10th and it's typically. On or around 4th of July is when we have International Fight Week. And they're building this thing up to be a really big card. I think they're working on one more fight as kind of a semi-main. That could be a really big title fight. But again, you got Poirier McGregor 3 is the big selling point. Because again, anytime you have a trilogy fight, this caps off International Fight Week. I'm all the way here for it. And if it's what, obviously if it's what Poirier wanted, Fine by me, because I've always been very much a guy that wants to see 
Poirier get towards the top of that ladder. Now, what happens after the fight, especially if he loses, that changes the entire conversation about what his future in MMA holds. Now, obviously, 32 years old, he's, he's about my age, which is crazy to think about. I'm about to be 32 in like a month. So with me, I'm like, I get it because it's setting up himself up with a lot of money and probably get a bit of that going to the Good Fight Foundation, which is a great thing. It's a great thing. But it makes me wonder, like, if he beats McGregor and then eventually goes out for the title, what's left for him after that? Because, again, that might be his last big payday of his UFC career. I hope I'm wrong on that, but it just feels like that's kind of where we're landing on all that. But yeah, that's about all I got for the UFC talk. Before we take a quick time out, let me tell you something. We've got a podcast where I talk a lot about the UFC. I also talk a lot about the WWE, AEW, everything in between. In fact, if you saw the video up on Twitter and Facebook at 1037 The Game, I'm rocking the old AEW t-shirt. Yes, you heard me right, AEW. Kind of a big fan of that. But before we take the time out, let me give you an idea of what we got going on with the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Because we need to get to brass tacks about what's going on. WrestleMania week. Because next Saturday and Sunday, two nights of WrestleMania. And it's a podcast so big, we can't fit it into just one episode. Because we're going to do an entire week, Monday through Saturday. Every day a podcast. Monday, it'll be the regular old Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Tuesday. We're doing a top five WrestleMania discussion. I'll give you my thoughts on my favorite WrestleManias of all time. Then we have Thursday, AEW Dynamite. Oh, excuse me, Wednesday. We got Mania Predictions. Special guests will be joining the program then. We also have AEW. We're recapping that action. Maybe we'll also get into a little Monday Night Raw. Friday, NXT TakeOver, Stand and Deliver, Nights 1 and 2. We're recapping that and then all wraps up with something that I was planning before. Obviously, the date changed for the show of shows. A final Nitro retro review 20 years after the end of WCW. We'll talk about that and so much more. Part of the Cajun Strong Stomp podcast, wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Just search Cajun Strong Style. And that was brought to you by the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, which I host each and every, typically every Monday around 1 o'clock or right before Monday Night Raw, depending on what kind of time allows. But we're going to go from the pro wrestling to the professional baseball. We're going to talk with a guy, Ian Castleberry, joining the program next. Talk a little Major League Baseball right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. times the world famous cd follows the simple words of matthew mcconaughey you just gotta keep living man l-i-v-i-n so let's kick back and enjoy under the dome on 1037 the game it'd be a lot cooler if you did and welcome back to Under the Dome with cd right here at acadiana sports station 1037 the game 1037 the game.com right now having a little trouble 
efforting to get our guy Ian Castleberry on. Talk a little Major League Baseball. But I got some time to kind of get into that because, man, the Astros 2-0 to start the season. And it's been one heck of a start for them. White hot as all get out, man. And especially on the offensive side of the of the plate. It's just been really good. And I think, I mean, again, they've had a really good starts from, you know, Zach Greinke. I was impressed by him on opening night. He definitely outshined kind of my expectations for him. Because he's always been kind of an up-and-down type of guy, especially with the Houston Astros since coming over from the D-backs. He's definitely not getting any younger, but he was very impressive. I mean, you know, you had a heck of a performance last night. I was, again, the Astros late last night, very much impressive, and I like the fact that I saw just a little bit more aggression along the base pass at certain points from the Astros, even when they were up comfortably like 5-2 to two at one point in the ballgame, wound up seeing some of it, and you had your boy... Trying to think of his name right now in my head. It's it's gonna escape me right now. Who wound up? God, this is. I mean, it was Jose Altuve, and you had I think it was, it was a pop fly. He had a pop. There was a pop fly, and he's on third, and it's a pop fly basically near second base. All of a sudden, he just like it lands. He immediately tags up and absolutely books it and somehow, some way is able to avoid the tag safe to make sure the Astros go up six to two. And they wound up winning the game nine to five. Impressive win from the Astros. Start off two and oh. Jesus Lazardo drops to 0 and one for the Oakland A's. And I'm I didn't I hadn't looked at this yet, the, today's matchups. But this was impressive, my friends. And this is coming from the, this is going to be a 307, 307 first pitch tonight or this afternoon. You'll hear that on News Talk 98.5. Adam, excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong lineup. Lance McCullers Jr. going to be getting the start, while Cole Irvin is going to be the start for the A's. I have not seen their rotation yet for the rest of the week, for the rest of the series, I should say. But I'm wondering if we'll wind up seeing Mike Fires involved in this in some form or fashion, because we all know. Mike Fires has definitely been ducking the Houston Astros as of late. I haven't, again, I haven't looked at the projected lineups yet. But one heck of a performance from the Astros on the on the, on the dish, and then also I think I got to give a little credit to Christian Javier. He had a he had a solid enough performance. Got pulled a little bit earlier than maybe I, I expected. Only three and two thirds, four strikeouts, two earned runs. Good start for from him, but it was. But yet, wound up having kind of a piecemeal type of game with Brian Abreu wound up getting the win with two and a third. Didn't allow any runs. But it, it's been more about the offense for me. And it's been impressive. I mean, this is a whole new lineup. You're without George Springer now, and the entire conversation now is all about how it's looking with the leadoff. And Jose Altuve absolutely has looked good to start the season. He was three for three. And he wanted getting on base every single time. He got walked twice. That's a hell of a performance if there ever was one. Michael Brantley, still looking really good. You also have Alex Bregman hitting a three-run bomb. He looked good. I mean, there's so many players out there that are looking way better than they should be, and obviously the only one that's really kind of underwhelming on the whole, it's Kyle Tucker, and he's the cleanup guy. And he, I, I'm giving him some time. It's a very small sample size, two games, but so far... So far, so good. And I'm impressed 
by what's going on with this team right now today. I'm sitting here. I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing what the future holds for him. Meanwhile, on the college side, I'm going to get to some of that right now because that was impressive. What we saw last night, I'm kind of talking about what's going on with LSU baseball. You know, Jack Leiter was the big story last night. He had a 20-inning no-hit streak. That's impressive. And that was snapped in the fifth inning. And he absolutely has had, like, one of the best seasons on record right now. And the streak he had was pretty darn impressive. But just looking at his ERA, comparatively speaking, like, in terms of the strikeout leaders per nine innings, he's second best only behind... Connor Hogland of Ole Miss with 15 and a half strikeouts per nine innings, but he's got the absolute best ERA in the group. 0.25. 0.25 in 36 innings. That's impressive. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in the pros. I mean, again, this is the son of Al Leiter, former MLB great, but impressive to see. I'm just intrigued to see how things are going to look for LSU once they get out of the series and start moving forward into the next like setup and playing Kentucky and seeing how they do going forward because that will really determine what happens next with LSU. Again, I mentioned it earlier, I don't think Palmieri gets fired, at least not yet. But then we flip it over to the Raging Cajuns. Definitely some good news on their front. Strong pitching once again leads to a big win over UL Monroe, winning 5-2. to two. Thanks in large part to a great performance from Connor Cook out there. You can add eight Ks in that last name of Connor Cook. He racked them all up. Heck of a performance from him. But I think, obviously, it's been all about Spencer Eric Getty. The man has been an absolute monster. He has a .90 ERA, probably one of the best in the country right now. A guy from TCU transfer. Two-time Sunbelt Conference Player of the Week. Nothing short of impressive from him. I love what I've seen from Arigetti the last couple of like weeks. Very well done. Great performance from start to finish by him. Looks like we're not getting Ian Casper. I'm going to go ahead and take. We're going to pull out of this segment a little bit earlier than intended. We'll try and get him to wrap up our numero uno. I'm going to try and get him in anyways because I still, I've got some thoughts. I want to get some takes from him on the state of Major League Baseball on the whole couple days into the season. But before we do that, let me give you an idea of what we got going on right now, and that is Bo's Extravaganza. It is back. You can win tickets to the event held on April 10th and 11th at John Schneider Studios in Holden. That's right, Holden, Louisiana. You can win tickets to be going to a party hosted by the man, the myth, the legend that played Bo Duke and Jonathan Kent, the one and only John Schneider. The score ticket simply text BO to 68683. Once again, text BO to 68683 for your chance to get your tickets to BO's extravaganza. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, hopefully we have our guy Ian Castleberry aboard. If not, we'll move on. I've got some other stuff to talk about. Meanwhile, I'll get to a little MLB takes of my own next, right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The 
numbers don't lie. Because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Trying to readjust this microphone because apparently... Before I got into the first South Farm Credit Studios, the mic stand decided to decide decided to just go ahead and go off into that good night. Now I have to kind of set this on a New Orleans Saints helmet, and it's definitely it's been an interesting last couple hours being inside the studios. Wasn't me. We're gonna try and move on from it. But hopefully you're having a great Louisiana Saturday afternoon. No, Ian Castleberry is what it is. We'll move on from it. These things. Can and will happen. But hey, if you want to call me up, 337-706-0111. If you want to talk about LSU baseball, maybe a little bit of what's going on with the MLB, because obviously the MLB announced yesterday they were moving the Midsummer Classic from Atlanta and also the MLB draft, all because of a lot of political stuff. I mean, obviously, sports and politics don't necessarily go hand-in-hand, hand, but it just feels like every time we turn around, we see it, and it's just like, boom, right in the face, and we just can never seemingly get away from it. It's a mess. Like, what's going on with that? Again, understand why they're doing it. I get it, but it's just not the way to kind of handle things. Like, they they could have just said, hey, like, we're going to at least think about it, and let's go ahead and move it out. If you're going to move it out, just say, hey, move it out for this year. We're going to move it over, at least try and not make it completely all about that. There's a little bit more of a diplomatic way to kind of handle things with that. Again, can't hate it because, again, they had a decision to be made, and that's where they kind of went. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing how the re- what the reaction is going to be. I want to see a lot of people, they're not happy. And I could kind of agree with them. I think they'll definitely lose a lot of fans. He's that's just such a mess to deal with in and of itself, the state of the MLB. Meanwhile, obviously, we've got to get to brass tacks and talk about what's going on with the where things are in the MLB right now. I mean, obviously, thankfully, there's only been one real series that's been postponed due to COVID, and that's what's going on with the New York Mets. The Mets are the only ones, and the Nats are the only ones not playing during opening weekend, all because of the fact they had COVID positive tests, which kind of was like, okay, that was a, it was a real gut punch. Cause again, opening day, you're so looking forward to it. All the games going on and you only had two of them. Just an opening day itself get postponed. One of them because of weather. It, you also saw Mickey Cabrera out there hitting a home run in freezing cold weather. Okay, we'll take that. But it was so much fun to see how things are over the first couple days of the MLB season. I mean, right now, obviously, there's no way any of this is going to be changing. Like, there's a, this is all going to change. It's not going to stay in the static point right now. But right, I'd say, I mean, Tampa Rays are looking good. The AL Central could be very intriguing with what's going on with Detroit. Kansas City is also going to be a team to keep an eye on. Baltimore, Toronto are going to be fun. And I just feel like, you know, 
one of the more wide open divisions is probably going to wind up being Colorado because excuse me, Colorado, listen to me, the West, because the Colorado Rockies are, uh, they, they were the team that low key was building themselves up. And I mentioned them as kind of being middle of the pack, but it's because they'll have to deal with the battle of California in the Padres and the Dodgers. Both these teams loaded up during the off season. And it looks like right now, that's going to be the that's be the division to watch and pay attention to the most out of all the divisions in Major League Baseball. And I think the NL is going to be a lot of fun to see how, again, how it all turns out, how it all works out. Because I think the Padres, our team loaded on offense, and once they get Fernando Tatis Jr. back in that lineup a lot more, that will become more obvious. The Dodgers, on the other hand, are more of a pitching staff that's stacked to the absolute gills. But you also had a really good, there were some really good debuts in recent history. But, you know, really good starts from the MLB season. John Means was one of those absolutely amazing performance. A one-hitter through seven innings of work and five strikeouts, and he had a GSC of 80. That was one of the best of all time in terms of an opening day game score. John Means looked fantastic. The Baltimore Orioles were thankful they had him in the number. I mean, a one-hitter through seven. Imagine if this were 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. He'd be pitching probably till the ninth inning. And I think that would have been absolutely huge to see. But I'm intrigued to see how he's going to do another guy. Your mean Mercedes, Mercedes, I should say, he went five for five, and it was like his first game, or his first start, I should say. Yeah, you hear me right. His second game of his career, but his first start, five for five for the Chicago White Sox. That's I, that's a guy I want to see more of going forward. Again, the White Sox wanted winning 12-8 to eight yesterday over the L.A. Angels. Xavier Rays handled business against the Marlins. The, the Rockies had probably one of the more interesting games. It's all about what happened on the field that wasn't involving the baseball. You ended up having a cat show up, and I was half expecting a rally cat to show up. In fact, uh, Danielle Allen took, formerly of the advertiser, now she's covering the Rockies. If I got saw she was tweeting about it, I was like, are we going to see the rally cat? Hashtag rally cat. But that wasn't the case. They wound up losing 11 to 6. It was a little bit too late in the ball game for the cat to show up. Showed up probably middle of the game, a lot like the cat that showed up on Monday Night Football. Then, yeah. And it made me disappointed that we don't have like a Kevin Harlan call of the cat making the rounds on the baseball field. It would have been great to see it kind of go around the diamond and around the bases. Probably would have been a lot more fun. And then we would have heard a Kevin Harlan call because you know, wherever there's some maniac stuff going on, he is going to pop up. I mean, his. Commentary of the Super Bowl streaker was pure comedy. And again, it further speaks to why he's one of my favorite announcers of the current era. He's top tier in my book, and I hope one day we can get him being more of a, let's say, the CBS primetime game or even the Fox primetime game whenever Joe Buck finally decides to hang it up. Again, not a huge Joe Buck guy. You, if you've listened to this show before, you know all too well my thoughts and my observations on one Joseph Buck and what he's done 
for that NFL on Fox. I think he's better. I'll admit it. He's a little bit better on MLB. NFL, just not a huge fan of him. And again, it's just the fact, it's just personal preference. I'd much rather listen to anybody else on that Fox on NFL staff than him. Whenever it's the primetime game, America's game, and I'm, I'm interested to see how that's going to pan out now that they've kind of changed the way the TV deal is, which I'll probably talk about a little bit more in the top of the next hour because we got a lot more things to get to. Obviously, we need to get to the NFL's 17-game schedule because I mentioned the NFL's new TV deal where it's kind of like I don't think it's going to be as conference-affiliated anymore, which, trust me, these America's games, the get ready for Saints to be back on at 12, more likely than not, in the next like year or so because I think you'll be seeing more of the like the state changing that ruling. And I'm looking forward to seeing how things go with that because I'm sure the NFL is going to say, hey, the Cowboys remain in our spot. They will remain a Fox team then, now, forever until Troy Aikman and Joe Buck both go the way of the Dodo Bird. Looking forward to seeing that. And looking forward to talking to you in hour number two right here on 1037thegame, 1037thegame.com. <laughs> 